I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. Here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast with Dave and Matt. Matt, today, this week has been a wonderfully wacky, weird week in the in the world of, of cinema. I suppose it has, yes. Um, there's been some pretty, pretty experimental and interesting releases that we've been enjoying. Uh, I think you're thinking of stuff like Blood Machines that came out on Shutter this Blood week. Blood Machines is right at the top of my uh, thought process. I think also David Lynch's uh, Fire. I have a short animated one. film. Did, but you saw the monkey one, right? The, yes, I I also don't know what it's called. It's a like twenty minute film of David Lynch talking to a monkey in black and white. Yeah, it's like something Jack. What did Jack do? Or, or yeah. talking to Jack or something like that. Uh, basically, if you've not seen this, David Lynch has put out two shorts within the last couple of weeks. The first one was him uh, on a on a train car, kind of kind of with a noir aesthetic, black and white. You know, obviously shot maybe on Super Sixteen. And he's interviewing or interrogating a monkey who can also speak. Yeah. Uh, he's got like, he's he's got like, like the, the old annoying orange thing where like the lips are cut out and there's human lips talking for him. Yeah. It's like the surliest, grittiest, uh, like Telly Savalas kind of monkey you've ever seen. Too. Yeah. He's like yeah. this is uh, not a cute monkey. No. Well, I guess it depends on your point of view. But um, well, he would. You he know, is he, cute until you hear him talk, and then it's like, right, yeah. Oh man, but, get get that monkey a pack of smokes. But like, if you had, a, if like, like if you needed a a monkey bro, like, wouldn't he be a pretty good monkey bro? Like, come on, monkey, we're gonna go to the bar. Like, I'd want that monkey to go with me because a, he'd be pretty entertaining. Yeah. And b, like, if some shit went down, that monkey's got your back. Yeah, that monkey's seen some shit, man. He's ready for it. He's he's, he's been to the down. crunch. He's ready. He's got some scars. <laughs> oh yeah, some knife wounds. That, he's that made monkey some will scars. Be your, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Rip some faces off. That monkey will be your huckleberry. Yep. In a drop of a hat. And we, so we, I just want to point out too that we are not making the common mistake of calling like a chimpanzee or a orangutan a monkey. Like this thing's a freaking monkey. He's like a spider monkey yeah. or something. It's like, he's got a tail, right? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. It's pretty cute stuff. I mean, he's cute. He's cute. That's probably why he's so surly, man. It's kind of like that Johnny Cash, a boy named Sue concept, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you grow up a spider monkey your whole life, man. You're going to have to learn to, you know, defend yourself. and Squab uh, you know, a little bit. Yeah, use, right. use your nub. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there was that short, which was awesome, on Netflix. You can watch it now. It's something about Jack. And then... Uh, he released another short film on YouTube this time, which was animated, which was called Fire or uh, subtitled Poser. Yes. And the uh, man, I don't really know how to describe it other than um, it's it's about, I guess, maybe Prometheus creating fire. And then there's some houses on fire. And then there's some shadow elk people dancing for a long period of time. And then there's another house, and I think the moon is in it, or the sun. I don't remember. It, it's it's wacky, to say the least. That sounds it is I, I mean, sublime. It's, it's animated, and I know it's very different, but it, it kind of reminds me of when he put that album out, and he made that music video where there was just like all these crazy people in a backyard kind of having a party and kind of just doing yeah. like totally insane things together. Yeah. 
Uh, like I think a guy had his head on fire and like uh, there was a topless woman running around and uh, like a guy in football pads doing drills. It was just like all this random shit, but it was like a party somehow. Yeah. Which is the first thing that I'm going to do the moment this quarantine is over. Going to have a David Lynch backyard barbecue head on fire party. When, when, when the restrictions lift, if you can, if you can, Oh, maybe I should go there because you actually have a backyard. Someone should throw a David Lynch themed party. Yeah, crazy Wherein, clown time party. That was the name of that video. Oh, <laughs> we, no, but I'm saying David Lynch, own... whereas you have to show up as a David Lynch character. Oh, okay. To a party. Oh, yeah, that's that'd be pretty idea. awesome. Who would you I'd be? be? Nick Cage from Nick Cage from Wild at Heart. Oh, nice. Now you're gonna have to find a vegan snakeskin jacket. I to I have actually looked your, into this already. Uh, belief in self-expression. I have non-ironically already looked into this. Good. They do exist. And I will find it. I'll be uh, Frank in the well-dressed man suit. Okay. Yeah, All right. With the big creepy black fake paste-on eyebrows and mustache. You could just do what uh, Charlie Harris did and dye your eyebrows black one day. He totally looked like that. We had a friend that is <laughs> just the most like ginger white ginger guy in the world and uh he just went for it man uh black beard black eyebrows black hair and uh yeah he if you've seen blue velvet that horrible disguise that dennis hopper wears it was like he was just that all day long it was brilliant remember i tried i tried that actually when we were Did young. You? We, yeah because i remember that because i uh Someone was like, you have oh, brown hair, though. No, but I, I have brown hair. But I remember we, I think we were about 20. And um, I think it was maybe your sister helped me do it or something. Uh, and I, I dyed my my eyebrows, my hair and my mustache black. And mm. um, then we all I went, to, remember this, we went to an Italian restaurant together, all of us. And uh, I remember yeah, feeling sort of a... like really silly because it was like the the black dye had, you know, kind of gone gone out you know from the hair so it was like it was as if i had like black you know bars above my eyes and like my (laughs) my girlfriend wouldn't go near me man she came over to the house and i opened the door she just ran so yeah be careful with that black hair dye you can well the thing with the black hair dye is it dyes your scalp so like it's not that big a deal on your head yeah but like anywhere else that's not as thickly follicled as the top of your head uh, it just looks like you did like like you took that football eye uh, eye makeup whatever the football players put on their eyes you know oh yeah yeah it's that stuff yeah it's just like that yeah it's like yeah. it looks like you just took that and drew like an arced line over your eyebrows so you gotta do what the ladies do and you gotta shave your eyebrows first and just pencil it in that's a good look I think that would work for yeah. both of us no, but you were you were I'm actually sure. the one because I remember it was my first time you know, going black number one. And, yeah. um, you know, you were like, you, you with the goth experience, you know, where you were like, you got to go to HEB. It costs about three bucks. And there's a picture of an Asian woman on the box. Yes. Yes. True black. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I brought home and just, <laughs> you know, I mean, me and your sister just dumped it all over my head and face and, uh, well, looked amazing. Since that, yeah. since, since, since it's nearly been 20 years since I gave that advice, <laughs> I feel I must update my advice as I have, but aside from my sister being a hairdresser, I've also had many relationships with hairdressers and they would all kill me now. Like, like, like Brutus turning on Caesar. If I still recommended going to the store and buying box dye. So don't do that. <laughs> when the restrictions lift, 
Go see a proper hairstylist. They will get very mad at me if you do box dye. Don't do that. So while we're here talking about salon tips and stuff, we should probably explain to you what's going on. If you're watching on YouTube, we are on we are floating on the horizon of this purple planet and watching one of our favorite cosmic horror films, The Void, on Shudder right now. I've asked uh, Dave to meet me here because uh, cosmic horror is is getting huge but dave has noticed that it's going in like almost like a new direction maybe or maybe it's been yeah. going this way for a while but it's not so much about the cosmic anymore it's it's more about the palette yeah well so what got me thinking about it was uh over the last few weeks i went back and rewatched uh showtime's penny dreadful did you, do you did you ever watch that show i've had it recommended to me multiple times it's excellent i really think you'd enjoy it but uh it's very traditional you know, it's very traditional Victorian aesthetic, and it's beautifully shot and, and wonderfully acted. And um, But it, it very much is steep in nostalgia. And uh, with the with the coming release of Blood Machines, it got me thinking. You know, I saw Shudder put out a little ad that was recommending some of the other movies. Um, a movie that you've recommended before in the past, Bliss, was one of those yes. movies. And The Void, which we're watching now uh, via Shudder. Shout out to Shudder. Watch and subscribe. And, uh, and Mandy, which we did our very first show on. In fact, partially what, what inspired us to do this show some 70-odd episodes later. And, of course, Blood Machines. And, and there was one thing that just jumped out at me immediately, which was that gone from these movies were the traditional color palettes you normally see in horror. You know, the, the shadow play and the desaturated look and the, the grays and muted blues and uh, things of that nature. I mean, you might get a, a splatter of blood here and there, but even then, half the time the blood looks brown, you know? Mm-hmm. It's that real gruesome, like, what I like to call in the 90s, grim and gritty. Do you remember that in comic books when all the comic books were going grim and gritty? Uh, kind of like um, the, the the Frank Miller era stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Spawn and this image comics. So it feels like for a long time, a lot of horror has kind of been in that world of like grim and gritty. Uh, but there's some new filmmakers coming around. Uh, we talk about Pathos from from a, a, what's the Behind the Black Rainbow and and Mandy, who are who are changing it up some, you know, they're, they're like infusing these weird uh, otherworldly neons, the pinks and the purples and, and, and these neon blues and this, the, the whole sort of vibe of these horror films is less spooky, I guess. Um, and with these new colors that are being introduced, it's more like, um, unsettling unnerving it's disorienting you know, mentally unsta- it's, uh, disorienting yeah. is a great way to say it. it's like the, the the colors take you into uh, uh it's it's something you're not used to i guess it it, it it's uh it uh, yeah it's 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 that it, the palette that the all the pinks and purples and neons and stuff it's it gets so um uh, alien that yeah, yeah so that's it, a great way to say it yeah but, there was um speaking we talked we talked about my sister earlier did you ever, um, when we were, remember when, when Ash and I were living together and we had that one wall that was painted red? Yes. So my sister is very artistic and she decided to paint, she decided to paint this, uh, accent wall, like bright red. And I, so I did some reading up on it. I don't know what inspired me. I think my mom was like really against this idea of this red wall, but, um, 
if you were to paint, there's a theory that if you were to paint all the walls in your house red, that it would slowly drive you insane. Okay. Have you heard this? Uh, no. <laughs> it's a real thing. It's like a, like blue. For example, if you were to, if you were to, like you see, sometimes you see celebrities, they wear like these sunglasses with like the blue tinted window, uh, the glass, right? Lenses. Yeah. Um, what that is supposed to do is curve your hunger. And and give you like a general feeling of euphoria and serenity. Yeah, I had a friend. He uh, he ordered this kit, this color therapy kit, one time, and it was a box with like fifteen different pairs of cheap sunglasses, all with different color lenses, mm. and instructions on how to how to curate it throughout the week. <laughs> your your sunglass hue to make your uh, how- to control your moods and such. Yeah, things. how did it work? Ah, uh, you never know. Uh, I mean, he's always kind of a zen guy that tries a lot of things but um you know he he uh ended up just wearing the yellow ones all the time i think he just liked the look of them those are cool it was well there's cool. um there was a little while there where i had uh, uh kind of inspired by tony stark from iron man i bought these red lens shades uh-huh. dude it was like every time i wore those and walked outside especially on a sunny day it was like walking into Mad Max Wasteland. Yeah. There was something like post-apocalyptic about every time I went outside. Also, fun fact, red lenses will cancel out green stoplights. Oh, so, that makes so sense. So you can't see them illuminate. Yeah. You can see the red, but you can't see the green illuminate, which makes driving really dangerous. Yeah. It's, so I don't recommend that. It's like that episode of Seinfeld where the, uh, the, the chicken restaurant had the big red neon sign outside of Kramer's apartment yeah. and he yeah. drank the tomato juice thinking it was milk and uh, just do right. all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So this is, so color can really impact uh, your mood. And also I, and, and because of that, like it's so exciting to see these younger, like indie filmmakers experimenting with colors outside of the genre like who would ever associate these bright neon glow colors with horror? No, it works. You know, but they're yeah, it, it definitely it, works. Uh, I mean, you talk about Lynch, you know, and he's he's probably one of the ones that kind of uh, got into this idea first. I would say, like with it, with Twin yeah. Peaks and his red room, those red curtains, um, which are you know literally are just like the curtains that you would have on a stage. But like there was something about that red and the way it moved and like that that. Let you knew, know that when you were there, you were you were outside of their world, outside of our world, like you were in something else, you know. Yes, yes, and it was used for it was used creatively, um, and also made it his show stand out, right? Even like the color scheme in the appropriately named uh, Blue Velvet, yeah, right. You get that loungy, sleepy kind of vibe to it, kind of sultry, equal parts sultry and sleazy. Um. So it's so in seeing these sort of this sort of genre, I mean, then I wouldn't even say that they're all like in the same genre from like a topical standpoint, but from an aesthetic standpoint, to me, like, sure, you could try to you could call it cosmic horror, but really, I like to think of it as neon horror. Right. No, I could see that. Yeah, because it's it's the vibrance. It's it's a, it's a you know what it is. It's, a, it's kind of like a color palette that was mainly just kind of used by science fiction for the longest time. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. the color of spaceship, you know, laser blasts and flares and weird robots and stuff. And now it's, uh, but now it's this disorienting, strange, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, it's something about that neon too. It's, uh, it's got, 
uh, almost like a nauseating feel sometimes. Like if like Colorado yeah. Space really pulled it off, I was kind of worried about that because the whole thing of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, story is that it's this color that doesn't exist on Earth. You know, it's like right, right. And so he, you have to use your imagination, and obviously to make a film. You have, you have to, to use a color that, you know, you can't invent a color. That's not a thing. So, um, but, I mean, maybe, I don't know, Crayola, but it's been a while since we've had new colors. So, <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was cool that, I mean, of course it just ended up being kind of like a pinkish sort of weird thing, but, but that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't cute, man. It was like, right. you felt, you felt like that color could make you ill. You felt like it could do something to your brain. Kind of like you're talking about with the red room and the driving yeah. you insane, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, you ever heard that, that, that theory that, um, the, about blue? No. What, what about it? Well, blue is not really a, a commonly occurring color in nature. Like it's not, we don't have blue food that we would like be, um, well, that we would have well blueberries are 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 out there but like um you, you know you think of like how humans evolve we don't really naturally seek blues you know greens okay. yes you know things that we're used yes, to yeah. as food that are part of our diet reds probably from eating you know hunting and whatever but like as far yeah, as okay. blues go um blue became this thing that yeah you you were able to think of blueberries but then after that you know it's like george carlin did that bit that was like where is all the blue food you know and it was pretty right. funny but yeah. at a point like there's really nothing natural you know um i mean you could say the sea and the sky but like even that they say is kind of an illusion you know that it's so the point the the theory is though when you look at a lot of old writings like you go back to like homer and um the Odyssey, the Iliad, I, I, it's one of those two. Uh, he, you see references to the sea as red, the, the red, oh. you know, sea being red mm. and the red water. And, and, it's, and it's strange. And um, it seems like r r blue de being described in writing kind of coincides in history with the discovery of uh, blue dyes which blue dyes for a long time were so rare that they were kind of only limited to royalty and very high nobility. So most mm. people would live their life without actually seeing a, uh, the, the color blue, the color blue. Yeah. And, uh, is that where the, the terminology blue blood comes from? Uh, could be, could be. Yeah. Uh, I know Royal blue is, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, there's not like there's a Royal, red you know so <laughs> yeah but right, uh right. yeah it was it was such a rare thing uh, occurring in in not just in nature but just people's lives in general that they believe that um until people started seeing like actual blue objects uh that were like you know couldn't be anything else like maybe they even saw the sky as a different color they saw the the sea as a oh. different color i i don't know it's kind of weird it's like this idea that you need you need something to Associate and to have it described to you before you can start to interpret it that way. Well, see, I could I could absolutely believe that because um, well, there's a couple of things to consider. Like when you were a kid, I don't know if I'm the only one who ever did this, but like, did you ever ponder whether what you see as a color is the same as what someone else sees as a color? Like, for example, I used to do this thing where I'm like, okay, I see the grass is green, right? And if I asked you what color grass was. Most likely you would say green, correct? Right. I, mean, I guess it could be beige or dried, but it, green is typically the, the the response given. But when I was a kid, I always used to wonder, like, if I were to, like, quantum leap into your brain and I looked at grass, 
would it appear yellow as far as my understanding of color would be? Right. Right? And would everything that associates with green be yellow in your within your mind's eye? But, of course, you would know no difference because there would be a continuity. Yeah, the words right? that, that we use are color. Uh, the, the words that we use to describe colors are labels that we put on different spectrums, different wavelengths yeah. of light. And you're right. Like, we don't have any way of knowing if the... Um, experience of seeing those wavelengths is the same for everyone it could be completely different yeah exactly and then so from that when you start thinking about you know a that we 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 associate labels on things without really knowing um and maybe there are some scientists who's going to correct us but uh knowing like what what someone else perceives and how they perceive it and then there's the the idea that time is an illusion that in fact we only perceive time Right, the time doesn't actually exist. That everything that has ever happened has already happened and is happening okay. instantaneously, infinitely. All right. And did you, what, what, did you see this? Why do you bring you up the this, time thing? What is that? Well, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll get there in a second. Get around. Did to you it. see this new thing? There's a scientist that out there that think that they've uh, discovered a a alternate reality in which time is perceived backwards. Did you see that? I saw the the red dwarf episode. Where they um, they accidentally skipped so far in time that they got to the point where the universe was retracting and time was going in reverse, and they like Wait, spent episode? a week in that wor- world. Yeah, Red, Red Dwarf. You don't know that show? That's that science oh, no, fiction I... show. It's kind of like a comedy Star Trek from from England. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I've never seen. No, this yeah. was a real thing. This is a real thing that came out. I'll try to try to find the article and link it to you. Um, but I, I bring those things up because I think we take for granted our perceptions being universal. And I think there's at least a little bit of leeway in experimenting with those perceptions in a way to affect mood, right? And I feel like that's what some of these films are kind of doing beyond just putting in a cool color palette. A lot of these films that we've listed are messing with our perceptions of reality itself. You know, the introduction of beings from other worlds and other realities and things coming from space or or Mandy, which is really set in this just hyper hyper world, you know, and for no reason that actually adds to the story other than that's the world it's set on. Yeah, you know, and it and you're right, it creates something of a um, disorienting feeling, which is very different than a lot of mainstream horror does. It makes you feel like you so. Uh, our friend of the show, Jude Walker, was uh, in Los Angeles during a Northridge earthquake. And um, one of the things that he said, I don't know how familiar you are with the Northridge earthquake, but it was big. Mm-mm. It was massive. Yeah. And it threw Jude like six feet in his room from the bed to the wall. Like it was, it was a very massive, very dangerous, very deadly earthquake. And he said that for a good amount of time afterward, he was so disoriented because the thing that you learn to trust, right? Like the ground being solid was removed from him. And when that goes, everything goes right. We've, you know, like he, he was saying like him and his girlfriend at the time were like looking at each other suspiciously because their mind was like in this fight or flight mode where like they thought everything was trying to kill them. It's very surreal. Uh, We'll have to have Jude on it sometime to describe it in more detail. But when you, when you manipulate our perceptions of reality, it really opens the door up to tell some incredibly cool stories. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've been watching some uh, other horror series on Shudder called uh, Channel Zero. Have you heard of this one? I've heard of it. But I've not watched it yet. It's it's not bad. Uh, my wife and I are about three seasons in. It's a different story, different you know arc every like anthology season. style. Yeah, but uh, I and I was even considering like reviewing it on the show, but um, I might wait until I finished the recent season to do that. But uh, one of my problems with this, even though it's it's completely different writers and casts every time, every season has seemed to like suffer from this one issue, mm. and it's that characters recover really quickly from finding out stuff like another dimension exists or ghosts exist, or or demons are invading your town. Like they just like, they come to like, Oh, that's just part of life. Okay. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's real. I don't know. I've never experienced it. Like, but that thing you're talking about where, you know, an earthquake, which is a natural occurrence, but it, it got in Jude's head in such a way that his reality was a little, uh, you know, a little more elastic for those moments, you know? And yeah, and that's what uh, this this series has been kind of leaving out, and I, I think that's that's what uh, possibly the, uh, the the cosmic stuff, the the neon stuff that we're talking about. They seem to be doing a little better at, at explaining that with these with the color palettes. Uh, I mean, I think it's yeah, you know, because in the same way you're talking about like people perceiving uh, colors in different ways. Um, w- one thing we, we, could, we could say is maybe these directors are using these palettes as a way to express that to the viewer that yeah. these these actors this not actor but these characters that you're watching they have um you know they're kind of crossed over into something very foreign very alien and it's uh it's kind of hard to express that these days cuz you know even if a spaceship lands on a or or a portal from hell opens up and a monster comes out we've all seen that so many times that yeah. it's hard for us to to not go oh, okay you know it's it's this old story. And, and, and I think right. that's what, what's happening in that channel zero is like, it's they're the, they're so used to these stories. They know we're so used to these stories that they're making it to where even the characters are comfortable in these stories. And they really shouldn't be because like, you know, characters in most of these films are people who have had completely normal flatline lives, you know, for the most part, as far right. as this kind of stuff goes on. And then all at once they find out there's an alternate dimension that you can get to through a house. And they're just like, yeah. oh, okay, I've got to get out of here. You know, <laughs> they don't really see yeah. that. Yeah. They I mean, really it works if it's like, correctly. I mean, I feel like even Rick and Morty does a better job of, of showcasing the, the, the disorientation of being able to cross through all these random realities. Yeah. You know? And um, I think part of the reason is that we get very, as humans, we're very capable of being desensitized to just about everything. I mean, really, if you look at our daily lives, like any atrocity given enough time and exposure on some level will become desensitized to it. It's part of our makeup. And I think that films oftentimes fall into the same trappings wherein it's like, they're so worried about getting to the action or the murder, right? Right. But they kind of skip over the psychological impact that it might have on someone. You might get the token character who's like going insane and she's pretty much the equivalent. It's almost always a, a woman. And it's basically the equivalent of those old like black and white films where there was a, a woman who was having a, a fit of hysteria and some like dude slaps her to get her to think straight. It's like that old archetype still is like the most that most of these horror films kind of go to explain the trauma of seeing something unworldly. Yeah. 
Because I, I think it really wouldn't take much, man. I mean, imagine there's, I, I don't think it would take much, honestly. Like, I, I think the idea of, you know, just seeing a person with an extra eye or, or someone growing on, yeah. you know, something, uh, someone that's even just like, uh, you know, like someone that has the proportions of an elf, you know, <laughs> maybe they're just like mm-hmm. three feet tall, but they look the proportion of a six foot person, you know, just seeing that person and it's like normal and they come walking up to you. I think that would just be enough to like cause someone to just totally snap, you know? You know, um, and I think, and I think one of the good things about these movies that we're talking about, um, not only like experimenting with these these issues, but but using a practical effect to pardon the pun illuminate the psychological episode um, is that if you actually put physical neon lights and things of that sort around your actors, it will affect their performance. Oh yeah, it makes I mean, sense. it couldn't help to do so. You know, um, Nick Cage and Mandy is about the most perfect example of someone slowly going insane. I've ever seen in a movie. Oh uh, well, and um, rivaled possibly by Nick Cage going insane <laughs> in uh, Color Out of Space. <laughs> oh, which I haven't seen that one yeah. yet. I haven't seen that one yet. Um, but yeah, exactly. Like Nick Cage gets it because Nick Cage is such a nuanced actor that he's able to sort of really feed that level of insanity. Yeah. Um, and I think that the color scheme and the aesthetic really, really helped. And it also here's the other thing. I've said this a lot of times, I think in the past, um, when we when we get into the debate of like, uh, you know, CGI, VFX versus practical, right? Uh-huh. Um, Avatar looks incredibly fake to me as a movie. Okay. Right? As incredible as the technology was at the time, it looks incredibly fake to me as a movie. Could not get into it. Didn't help that it was also the plot from Fern Gully, but but still, <laughs> like yeah, it's shot for shot almost. Yeah, I mean, just it, it, well, um, it was it was Fern Gully. It was yeah. or Dancing with the Wolves, maybe if you want to really give it some credit. Um, but and yet, I could watch the dark the Dark Crystal, which is clearly a puppet show. Yeah, and be completely um, in uh, completely like. Um, surrounded and indoctrinated into the world yeah. in a way that immersed. I buy in immediately immersed. That's the word yeah. I'm looking for. Yes, exactly. And, um, and why is that? Like, why is something that technically looks more real? I'm doing air quotes. Uh, I don't, I only have a nub. So Matt, you do air quotes for me with your hands. Uh, um, I can, real. I can only get a index finger up, but all right. Real. real okay. <laughs> <laughs> and yet things that clearly look fake feel more real. And I think because it's it's when you enter into the world of puppetry, for example, um, within a short amount of time, your body and your mind adjust to it that this is reality, yeah. Or at very minimum, this is this is this reality, right? Right. And um, when things try to be too real, try, too realistic, and I guess you could argue that Avatar. I mean, it's pretty fantasy, but. But it's still tried to be just too humanoid. Like your body rejects it. Like it's well, close enough, but not too, not perfect. I, I don't know if you're aware of how far Avatar actually went to try to be realistic. Like the, no. the, the reason that movie is so expensive and took so long to make. It's, yeah. It's unbelievable, man. Like they, they, oh, I saw this documentary on it not too long ago and it was it was kind of shocking like the 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 links they went to like they wanted for example um 
the Navi, the the the, the, the yeah. blue alien people, they have their own language, right? And yeah. uh, you know, most most films do that. They'll have aliens, you know, talk talk knock knock knock, knock you know. And but yeah, thanks, but the Tolkien. the Navi, I mean, they hired this uh, dialect professor um, expert. And um, gave him like a full year, like they had this guy on salary for like a full year or something. And he was like writing this language. And then he coached the actors, not only in how to speak the language and pronounce everything correctly, but a lot of times the Navi speak English with the, um, with the human characters in the film. And he, they, they have an accent. They all have the same accent. Right, and right. Uh, that like checks out with dialect experts that like, if you spoke the, a language that sounded like that, your English, your accent in English would sound like this. Like it was like that level of detail. There's tons right. of this stuff. Like every little aspect of that film was crawled over for like two or three years before they actually took it and made the film. And there's just tons of this stuff in there. There's history books, um, biology books written about that planet uh it's insane how far they went to try to make it realistic well not only not only that but it's insane when you think of the filmmaker james cameron yeah who who's terminator 2 and terminator 1 for that matter looks way more realistic than avatar yeah it's it's you know uh, it's a it's a thin line man you gotta know exactly what you're doing to, to make a, a believable world and um it was a fun world but yeah it, yeah in the end it was just kind of like oh it was a fun ride through an amusement park and it was kind of cool but right. like uh right yeah it didn't because feel like the, oh this like the sex part was i'm sure they put a lot of thought into how they would reproduce and use those weird ponytails and like yeah just tap into the roots of the trees and all that but it, it just seemed kind of yeah fake i don't know all all nice all very nice detail who doesn't love good world building but this is why i think that willow is better than lord of the rings okay okay lord of the rings has three movies to mostly establish world building and Willow just gets right to the fucking point. Yeah. You know true. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what's the, the point world. of all this yeah. bullshit for Avatar? Like, give us a good story. Yeah. Like, all this stuff is nice, but the problem is it doesn't actually make me feel like I'm in an altered state. For all this detail that they spent, it actually doesn't make me feel like I'm entering into this magical world that I my brain just has to accept as reality. You know, yeah, I guess. it's like you tried too hard to make it like justify. You know, another movie that did that is Interstellar. Oh, I didn't watch it. The Good. Matthew McConaughey where he goes yeah. off in space to like fix the environment or something. I, I didn't. Yeah, uh, kind of. Yeah, fix the end of the world uh, or something or another. Find a find a world that we can inhabit because our world is coming to its close. Oh, that whole mess. And um, hey, if you're counting yeah. on that, anybody watching or listening, if you're if you're counting on that second Earth concept, we'll just ruin this one and go to another one. That ain't happening, man. That's like, like that's not not yeah. Not unless you got Matthew McConaughey up in that ship. Yeah, even I mean, you know? even if they did, who would want to? I mean, just moving sucks. You know, like going to a different yeah, town. Like, exactly. Who would want to like go to a new planet and like the the food probably tastes terrible and there's all these new if they new have viruses food. I wonder if they, and, you know? I wonder if they would have a uh, blue food there. They may. Yeah. Well, maybe okay, they would. All right. I'll I'll, oh, okay. I'll reserve my my dismissal of it then you know i might like to go visit the blue food place but for everything that interstellar did to to make it scientifically accurate it feels like a movie and i love chris nolan but it especially in its third act it feels like a silly movie 
Yeah. You know? And yet, Armageddon, which is a silly movie, feels more dynamic, better, more interesting. Better characters. Better characters. Yeah. Because you know what? From the get-go, I realize this is a stupid movie. And my brain adjusts appropriately, and it goes forward. <laughs> That's true. And it accepts it. <laughs> it accepts that it's easier to train oil drillers to be astronauts than it would be to cast astronauts and teach them to be oil drillers. My brain just accepts this and enjoys the show. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that. Just if I, how often I do that when I'm just kind of early on, like, oh, this is one of those stupid movies, but it doesn't try not to be. So, all right, I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs> right. Along for and, so, and so for those of you asking what the, any of this has to do with neon horror, it's exactly that. If you just establish early on that you are in a place that is not like ours, your brain will open its mind to new possibilities. The more you try to root it in reality, the more your brain will reject. It's inevitable that you will do something in your film to push the plot along or make it more dynamic or whatever that is going to fly in the face of this hyper-realism you're attempting to do. Yeah, because it, so, it really comes down to performances writing it's it's not yeah it's it's not like about uh, as much about shot for shot quality of realism it's uh like color out of space i don't want to spoil it but like there is a part in that film where two of the characters kind of get fused together into one sort of iron man uh iron man yeah um no not not, not an iron man uh like kind of thing is that you're talking about who's that who's who's that iron man from the japanese film oh tattoo of the iron man oh yeah 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 i was first i started with uh marvel comics iron man and then i went to black yeah. sabbath and i was like well he became like made a metal or something by traveling through time i by the way if, yeah if they want to make a heavy metal song into a movie black sabbath's iron man i still am oh. on that but um, in neon, in a, in the neon horror styling, it could work. I mean, uh, neon nights, a Black Sabbath song, uh, the cover of Paranoia. Yeah. There's some aesthetic there. Hell yeah. yeah, sure, hell yeah, man. But yeah, see. But but getting back to uh, Color Out of Space, there's this part where like, yeah, two of these characters they get kind of they go into this barn, and when they come out, you know, like something happens, alien. When they come out, they are like stuck together, and it is just it is disturbing as hell because to you know it could have just focused on the um which it does look very realistic they did great practical effects but it could have just focused on that to really drive it home how disturbing it is but rather than that they let us have like the next 10 minutes where these people's family tries to think of what to do with them you know they they've got them in the house they're stuck together they're all obviously both in a ton of pain but there's something their minds aren't functioning correctly they're just and the the level of suffering uh, that you're watching as like these these family members are like go, they're they're losing their minds they're going insane yeah. trying to figure out what to do with this new situation where these two people they love are now like this isn't something a doctor can fix. It's like it's it's fucked up, man. <laughs> so like, and yeah, was, exactly. And the ramifications, that, like that 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 thing of like taking you where where it's like this is how you would handle this situation too. You would not know what to do here. And like, yeah, it's it's that thing uh, uh, that that the, the 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 neon horror is doing. It's 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 um ah, it's so 
I like this. I like this concept. This neon horror concept now, you've come up with. This is good. Now, what did you uh, What did you think about Blood Machines? Oh, that was awesome, man. Blood and okay. So yeah, I'm glad you went to Blood Machines because I, I was going to say there's another aspect of these these cosmic neon horror films, and that's the the soundtrack is often a very oh, yeah. synthesizer heavy kind of '80s uh, feeling soundtrack, which is interesting because that that neon color, the neon palette, is sort of associated with the '80s too. And right. uh, what, what do you think is the connection there? Because uh, Blood Machines had a uh, Carpenter Brute, the uh, the band that kind of gives tribute to those John Carpenter yeah, French electronic. Yeah, band. they kind of do that style, those great. John Carpenter soundtracks of the 80s and 90s. Uh, they do the whole soundtrack for Blood Machines, and, and it works so well. I, in fact, I even yeah. when I looked up the film, uh, the Wikipedia description has it listed as a musical, which is kind of there's no singing in it, but but uh, right, but like, I can kind of see where it would yeah. yeah. Well, there is a pretty awesome dance number though. I'll say, but um, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but yeah, um, what do you think's going on there with like? Is there something to that, to to this neon cosmic horror? There's, is there something to like the 80s aesthetic that they're kind of mixing in? I think in? so. Well, because if you look at the origin of electronic music, right? We, I, think, I think we've talked about Devo before. Yeah. Like a lot of the early pioneers of electronic music, part of the aesthetic of the music itself was this disassociated uh, feeling from reality. Right. Right? Like yeah. the music was meant to evoke this feelings of disassociation. Right, a lack of humanity, a coldness, you know, uh, uh, an outsider look, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, the, uh, the the musicians were androids, robots. They were androgynous. Right. Uh, the, the the lyrics were almost like uh, you know brief summaries of science fiction plots. Uh, I think of uh, Gary Newman, our friends Electric, where he uh, wrote a song about um, kind of like a mail order sex androids um, and like nice. how they would deliver that you know he, he thought of that concept of uh, I don't want to get too much of a rabbit trail but it's kind of funny like you know back in the day when people would order pornography it would show up on your front porch uh, the package would have some different label you know like cooking right, supplies right. or something like that and he thought when we have Android prostitutes Matt has a huge porno collection <laughs> when you have when we have Android uh, prostitutes that come to your house they're gonna show up dressed as uh, plumbers or uh, census <laughs> you know something like that yeah and only Mormons. you're gonna know why they're actually there you know and that's and, right but that Is yeah it Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses that come to your door Do, Jehovah's Wit Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses both come oh to they your both door. do yeah and occasionally yeah. Catholics <laughs> well there you go so next time they knock on your door, they may be android uh, sex dolls. But so, so let them in. So, well, <laughs> be careful. But yeah, so so what you're you're kind of saying is like in the same way that the synth music was tapping into a, uh, a sort of future storytelling that would become more popular, the cyberpunk and the the strange yeah. horror and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the it, it maybe it was like uh, kind of predicting its place in the future of cinema, uh, kind of being ahead of its time. That they were Very much so. unaware that they were making the soundtracks of the films that they were uh, predating. That's interesting. Yeah, and also the uh, you know, cheers to the to the filmmakers. You know that for for observing and and appropriately picking these types of musical genres to accent the the unsettled vibe of their movies, right? It, it's such a it's such a appropriate fit when you've got these like again these are unnatural color schemes right and lighting schemes 
And uh, to then put this really sort of like fuzzy, synthy, electronically, you know, it just adds to it. It all adds to the overall aesthetic. And we talk about Blood Machines, you know, Carpenter Brew is one of my favorite bands. I got really lucky. I got to see them. Uh, me and Ophelia, we went to this um, metal festival in Prague, right? Like extreme, heavy, dark black metal and black and death metal. And then one of the headlining uh, bands was Carpenter Brute, which if you've listened to them, they're very synth pop. Right. Um, and they fucking slayed, man. They were excellent. And I, it's not just me that thought that. Like the whole crowd of these Heshers, you know, these East European Heshers and people from all across the world gathered together. We've all been drinking and headbanging. And then the synth pop band comes up and everyone was so into it. So into it. And um, it just goes to show you that, that people connect with this stuff, you know? Yeah. And for Carpenter Brute, I think the, the filmmaker who did Blood Machines did a music video with them, which was very much in the same stylings when you watched the movie. And, um, and so then they decided to – these are fr- French artists, and they decided to make a, a film uh, based on or at least scored by Carpenter Brute and this wild – wacky sci-fi existential story uh with a heavy usage of of uh you know the, this very this very weird lighting pattern that a lot, some of these films are using but not but but in combination with this very strange sort of vfx green screen environment right yeah 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 it is it's a yeah. It's a new way of uh, looking at horror and uh, a new way of describing the the disassociation and the terror that we should feel. Um, yeah. With these uh, this unnatural palette that we're seeing. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't uh, seen some of the films we're talking about, uh, what uh, is, there, is there any we left out? We got Mandy, The Void, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Um, well, I want I want to talk a little bit more about Blood Machines, and I want to kind of get your take on it because it's a weird film. Okay. And and uh, I'll share briefly. I, I did three tweets. I was live tweeting as I watched it. All right. And uh, my first tweet, and I'm paraphrasing it because I have had VR glasses on. My first tweet was, I don't understand what this is about, but I'm here for it. Because it, it, when, you, when you go on to Shudder, when you subscribe to Shudder and you watch this film, it's chapterized. Now, I don't know if this was the intent of the filmmakers or if this is something that Shudder kind of made the decision on, but it is chapterized. Yeah. And so chapter one is, I think, like 17 minutes. And uh, I had no idea what was going on, but I was in. Chapter two, I'm starting to understand what's going on. I wish this edible had kicked in sooner. <laughs> And then chapter three, this was fucking amazing. Yeah. And that was kind of my, my emotional progression through watching this roughly, what, hour-long film? Yeah. What was your thoughts on it? I liked it a lot, man. It's like one of my favorite things to think about when I think about technology and uh, the kind of where we're at now and where it's going to go. I, I like to go way the hell out there, you know, uh, like Frank Herbert, 10,000 years in the future, logical conclusion, you know, that kind of stuff. And, yeah. uh, essentially the film is about possible future of artificial intelligence, you know, where you've got these artificially intelligent spaceships and 
What we have is a uh, a warship shoots down an artificially intelligent spaceship, which has yeah. has no one in it, and that the warship had kind of have has its own AI also, and right. um, yeah. they want to scrap this ship that they've shot down and has crash landed on this planet. When these uh, women, who they describe as scavengers, uh, come to protect the ship, and the women seem to have this kind of speaking of box die, yeah, <laughs> but, they, <laughs> but they they seem to have this kind of uh, religion almost, where they believe that these artificially intelligent ships are something much more than just a just a ship. They're they're living beings. They want to protect it like you would protect a um, right. you know a dying elephant or something from poachers it's almost that kind of thing it's like they seem to think they have souls yes and so um it's it's really cool because it, to me it 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 uh it didn't and it didn't require you to believe in a soul it was it has a religious spiritual feel to it but because it's so far in the future you can also kind of look into it as like uh, who knows what technology will become and what you know biology and ai and nanotechnology and all that stuff i mean you're just you're just seeing a new world you're seeing something that is like so strange and new and you're just going through this weird story in this world and um Kind of well, like how you were like, talking about, Dave. It doesn't take much time to explain to you where you are. It doesn't give you the no. gear or anything. It's just like... It just drops you the fuck in. Yeah, here we are. You know, it's... Uh, I wonder when it comes to AI, which is essentially just a, a software program, right? Uh, can you really destroy a software program? I mean, I guess you can delete it, right? Well... But... but if you don't delete it, does does not a software program exist forever? I I don't know. It, to me, it's kind of like almost like the um, the Star Trek uh, teleporter paradox, you know, where um, the teleporter basically makes a copy of you and uh, puts that copy oh, on another yeah. planet. But the man in the box, it doesn't. You know, it, if it's if it's making a copy of you, you know, cell for cell, everything perfect, and then it's just like creating it again on another planet. Is it sending you there or is it sending or is it creating a copy of you there and then destroying the original, you know? So, uh, cause it's, well, you know, to me, you it's know, about, you know, who did that? It's about the you know who did that excellently. Well, who's that? You know, you know, the, um, the prestige, the prestige explored that, uh, idea excellently with Hugh Jackman's character. You know, he gets that machine from Tesla and he teleports, but it, it, it creates a copy every time. Uh -huh. So he's got to kill the original one. <laughs> Did you ever watch no, I haven't seen it, but, but what? It's so great. Okay, go back well, and watch. This is totally off topic, but like, if you want to explore this man in the box theory, uh -huh. which is exactly what you're talking about, watch the Prestige. It does it in a very grim way. Totally different kind of film, but that's an aside. Well, the, uh, but yes, the idea that okay, I'm getting at is, uh, it it seems to me that in Star Trek, the um, you know the it's it's kind of like a military organization, so they've accepted their own you know. In, you know, possibility of dying and stuff. So it kind of seems to me yeah. like the, uh, the crew would, if they have to teleport somewhere, it's for the good of the mission and they're, they're okay with this, you know, I, I don't know. But, but then at the same time, it's like, is it a form of dying? I it's, and, and that's kind of where I get with like AI. It's like, it, because I could, you know, the thing, the thing about us is we're, you know, we're, we feel sentient. We, you know, but that whole thing of free will and consciousness, there's no real like scientific proof of it. So if you, um, well, we have consciousness, obviously, but I, but, I mean, uh, we we don't know. Well, when I say there's no scientific proof, I mean that uh, it's it's not something you can just show. You know, you don't. It's it's um, it's something we kind of 
say we have and we experience, we, but we, we don't. We can observe, yeah. but there's, you can't measure. You can't, yeah, and, and so, like, uh, I think what I'm getting to with AI, it's like, if you shut, you know, like, yeah, if those ships are just software, okay, which they they were something special, whatever, if you want, if it, you know, ends up just being what you're saying, like an, an algorithm or something, but like, if they are sentient, if they're experiencing the things they're experiencing and then they're broken to where they don't right. function anymore, even if they're repaired later, can they, can, you know, is it the same thing? It's, it's one of those kind of things. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird thing, but like, uh, I could see a reality in which whatever those ships were become so special that other people want to protect it. Other people start to respect it. It's, it's kind of like the, you know, I bring up the animatrix along, which if you still, if you like the matrix and you haven't seen the, the animatrix DVD with the, all the little short films, man, they really explore that concept so much because it's this, you get to this point where it, it explains how the matrix came to be. And it's like, if we ever get to a point where there's some artificially intelligent beings and they're saying, we want to, we want to exist. We want to express ourselves. We want to be part of your world. Do we give them rights? Do we let them or do we do we even listen to them or do we think, oh, they've malfunctioned and try to destroy well, them? It does what every great science fiction movie or maybe not everyone. It does what a lot of great science fiction movies have done. It, it asks whether or not these programs are essentially the same as our souls. If you believe in souls, which I don't. Right. There, there are, but, and okay, and there are people who would argue that for humanity, what we consider a soul or a consciousness, or whatever, is really nothing but a bioengineered complex algorithm of of chemical reactions and and fusions and what have you that we perceive as consciousness. Well, is that much different than a computer algorithm? And if that's the case, then is it not as important as what we value or is, or is what we value not as important as a, uh, as a computer program? Right. Yeah. It's like Philip K. Dick. Do androids dream of electric sheep? Do they dream? I mean, it's uh do. And, and if, and if Philip K. Dick is androids creator, right? If he's a, if he's the, uh, a God of science fiction, do androids dream of Dick? <laughs> That's a weird joke. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was amazing, man. I mean, that's, and that's the thing about art. Like, cause this, it is like a, a musical, a choreographed dance. It feels like a music video at some points. It's a sci-fi story. It's all these things. It's only 50 minutes long total. It's all neon, and, neon um, glowing upside down crosses. And but yeah, in the end, you're kind of going, uh, you're thinking about it. You know, you're thinking about this. I mean, um, these, this idea of we can create AI and, 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 it, maybe it gets to a sentient point and it becomes, you know, the only thing we can use to pilot these, these ships, these advanced trajectories, you know, uh, but do, do, you know, do we respect it if it gets bored? Um, right. Do, you know, what, 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 what was, if it's actually having experiences, then you have to, does it even want to be a ship, you know? Right. And what if it does it? Exactly. <laughs> so, that's, you know? but that's kind of what the movie asks without asking it. It's fantastic. It's so good. It's weird. It takes you a while, but it, it's an it's an experience. It's a ride, and you're immediately immediately immersed in that experience. And you think about it. To your point, you think about it for a long time because there's some pretty deep questions being asked there that not only apply to AI, but also apply to humanity. You know, it, it applies to us as well. If we, especially for those of you who are the the more uh, science inclined people. Uh, it really does 
there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn with the advancement of tech uh, of software technology and and our own complex bioengineering yeah and at some point we're going to have to ask some very very serious questions you know this this uh this vr program that we're using is a is, is a software program right thank you to big screen for allowing us to project our avatars in this weird nebulous uh neon horror landscape but what if the ai that is controlling these worlds decides they no longer want to paint on this palette you know yeah. what if they decide they want to create music what if they decide they want to do sculpting you know I guess but you've designed it yeah. you've designed it to do one purpose and it, and what if it then has desires beyond that these I are guess weird that's, that's when you pull the plug you just unplug it <laughs> and then if that's the case if that's the case are you murdering it? yeah right because yeah. if you believe that we're nothing more than just uh, complex bioengineering then when someone pulls the plug on us we consider it murder and it's bad and all these things but uh if we're no different than the machines well then then aren't we not just committing murder with machines then maybe it's who who unplugs who first because they, they may right. get the same idea. Um, well, so Blood Machines, uh, do you want to give it a rating? Uh, yes. I'm going to rate it... Um, I'm going to rate it three and three quarters tusk. <laughs> yes. and, and I only don't give it four tusk because I really love it. I think it's really cool, but it's only, it's only an hour. Yeah. And... Um, and while I appreciate sort of uh, different forms of storytelling, I am a big I, I do put a lot of emphasis on story and um, and it, it, this is all abstract. This is, I mean there's, there's a story there. there's questions being asked of you really more than there is a solid story. The story is pretty mm-hmm. pretty simple, but it's really its purpose is more to, to, to raise questions than it is to share a story with you, right? And uh, so for that reason only, I'm going to I'm going to shave a, a quarter of a tusk off. Just going to just going to shave the sharp part down a little My bit. My goodness. You, know? you, you have done some work on our rating system, man. You are just really having some liberties with it lately. Hey, I made it up <laughs> Four. I am the creator. Four out of five from me, because uh, this is a, okay. it's a must. Right. It's a must watch. It's a it's really great. You're going to love it. And um it's if you like uh, the kind of musical sci-fi stuff in the vein of like Daft Punk's Interstellar 5555, you know, these films that are like about as long yeah. as an album and kind of have a similar feel. Um, this is one of those. This is in, in leagues with that. It's very, you know, the music is you very know important. What? We got to give a little credit to a godfather of this genre that I don't think it's nearly enough credit. And that's Tron Legacy. Did, because the sequel to Tron? You, yeah, uh, the sequel right. to Tron. Yeah. Because, because you can see the direct influence between Tron Legacy and the way that they did their suits and the way that they had Daft Punk score it, you know, and Blood Machines, which, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's a lot more um, art house, certainly, than Tron Legacy. Uh, but you could tell they, they, they borrowed a lot of these same aesthetics and they went to a popular electronic musical artist to score it much like sure. Tron Legacy did 
You know? Yeah. I'd love to see. You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see blood machines in in a VR. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. That that that'd be kind of like cool. 360 where you could look all around and stuff. Totally. Yeah. Hmm. I could see. I could get on board with that. Uh. Well. All right, so there's Blood Machines. Uh, we've talked about neon horror, yeah, films of uh, cosmic scope with a whole different palette that just gets you all disoriented and strange. Um, the Void, possibly Enter the Void, too. That, I forgot about that one. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Mandy, Beyond the Black Rainbow, Color Out of Space. Uh, if we're, it's a lot of great yeah, ones. Yeah, if we're leaving, a lot of leaving any out, uh, but, but look into it, see what you think. Um, in other news this week, uh, Joe Bob's uh, last drive-in was fantastic. If you haven't seen this episode, was it? I, yeah, this so was I a good one. I missed it because like, they had. I was I was recording the other podcast during it, so I had it on in the background. You are but podcasting like, the, these days, my friend. You are in some yeah, some shows. He's <laughs> a busy, busy. guy, <laughs> but but. Uh, uh, by the time I, I, I was done recording and I got back into it, the movie was like three quarters of the way done. And I kind of missed all the opening. I heard there was something about Gillette razors. Oh, that, man. It was a, whatever. I mean, that, that was okay. <laughs> that made me wonder when they recorded this. That was a bit of an old thing. But I, I guess people have been asking him to comment on those, that Gillette commercial that kind of posed itself as a short film a while back. But, but right. um, other than that, um, the films he shows, uh, Exorcist 3, which is surprisingly cool it's weird uh it's different you got to see that one but um now was that a real exorcist film or was that a film was that they had a script for and then they slapped exorcist name on it's it. one of those things it it, seems, it's the, the guy that wrote yeah. the exorcist he had a, another book that he wanted to adapt a film called legion and um, okay they made it be an exorcist film and i mean the extra there is a technically an exorcism in it but it's so like weak the way they just kind of inject it at the end like oh a little bit of exorcism we there. Like, we, we need an exorcist you know like a priest just shows yeah, right. up and does a little like noony noony and then like a gun you know it's <laughs> it's okay but um did he did he shoot the bat did he shoot the uh the demon possessed legion dude with like a uh, a water gun full of holy water no no that, that needs to happen in a film because that shit is getting hilarious I saw that that shit's happening yeah, in real life I know I saw the priest actually like squirting a baby with a squirt gun from like six feet away I, fucking awesome that's hilarious it's great stuff I love it I mean if I was priest I would I would probably like invest they got money man like they're like they're using yeah. those crappy H-E-B grocery store squirt guns it's like get the super soaker man nah. spend some yeah. money on it also get the battery power also shit. I think it's I think even when the world goes back to normal, I think it's just generally a good idea that we maintain that six foot difference between priests and kids. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, what, there's no there's no harm that can come from that. So Exorcist three was pretty fun, and you learned some cool stuff watching it with Joe Bob. But the the film they showed second, you know, last week we talked about One Cut of the Dead and Which how is awesome. it was. Six tusk independent cinema done right like independent cinema yeah. at like a genius level done done right well this film was called deadbeat by dawn by jim van bieber an independent filmmaker and if if one cut of the dead is independent cinema done right deadbeat at dawn is independent cinema done no matter what like <laughs> this was like the most guerrilla cinema thing you've ever seen, man. It's just like it's a movie about gang warfare in Dayton, Ohio in the 80s. And uh it is like guys, I mean, actors trespassing to get shots. It's it's uh 
st- I mean, there was there's one part where they wanted the uh, the gang uh, chase to like go through a parade, so they just found out like this high school marching band would just be oh jeez, and so they just went and like ran through this parade with their cameras and everything. It's the shots are amazing, but they're practically it's practically like nothing but stolen shots. The whole film. Right, it's it's right. this guy that had he had apparently he had made some film when he was in high school that got a lot of acum- uh, a lot a lot of um. Acclaim, and uh, he got a ten thousand dollars scholarship to this film school, and mm. um, decided to just you know he he decided to just like drop out and take the rest of his scholarship and make the movie he'd been wanting to make, and that's what this film is. It's shot on sixteen millimeter because he believes oh. it. Everything has to be shot on film, no matter what. And he st- he st- apparently he still shoots He's on sixteen guy. millimeter to this day, uh, right. but. Um, Man, it's it's unique. You got to see it. It's not a great film by any means, but it is just it's a cult classic. I mean, it's it's definitely a cult film, but it's like I've never seen something. I mean, the dudes, they these people people get hurt making this movie and it's I bet it's on accident, you know, but it's uh it's awesome stuff too. I mean, it is so like it's it's kind of like we're talking to us today about like synthesizers and 80s and this is like that other side of like fingerless gloves and nunchucks and headbands you know and just like nice. like like a, a way to be a badass that only existed in the 80s man and it, it, man it's so good it was cool i was really glad i watched it you have a ton of fun with this one it's uh it's so ridiculous and it, 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 it joe bob said he played it because even though it's an action film it has the gore of a horror film and it, it did hold up there right. too so yeah check well, it it's out a, it's a it's a drive-in movie show doesn't say horror in the title that's right so I think that's a pass. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, what, do you, what would you say? I have not seen that. So what, what would you give it from a Tusk rating standpoint? <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, whew, I'm going to, I'm going to lock it down at three. I don't, I don't do like you, Ooh. the quarter tusks and stuff, man. I, I go for right. it. You know, if I believe in something. Okay. So like it, because okay. yeah, it's. So you'd recommend watching I'm it. Round, I'm rounding up, but yeah, I think I definitely just did recommend watching it. I mean, it, I had fun. I'm telling you, it's cool. Okay. <laughs> it's, you've never all seen right. anything like it. It's bizarre. Well, check that out. Let us know what you guys think. And I think uh, it's about that time when we go and ask answer a couple of audience questions. All right. Sounds good to me. Questions from Macarette. From Kudamaru from the Slasher app, the premier horror app for fans, artists, and creators. Have you seen Kung Pao Enter the Fist? And if so, what did you think? Yes, multiple times. I've not seen it. And I always get it confused... With um, uh, what's that movie? Um, Kung Fu Hustle, because oh. they came out around the same time, right? Uh, well, a few years apart, but yeah, very different. But uh, Kung Pao, they're totally different. Kung Pao was this film um, made by an American comedian, in which he uh, he took real clips from um, awesome kung fu films of the seventies, you know, like Shaolin monk stuff, like all kinds of really cool Shogun films from the seventies. And he spliced them all together and superimposed himself into this to make this uh, ridiculous kung fu comedy in which he's this, like, <laughs> chosen one. And, um, man, it is... Uh, oh, and it's also completely dubbed over with, uh, you know, comedic actors and stuff. So right. you're watching real, you know, real classic stuff, but, like, completely cut up and transformed into this ridiculous film. But it's, yeah, if you haven't seen Kung Pao Enter the Fist, man, it's, it's fun. It's great. All right. All right. Well, I may have to. And also... Is that the question? Just, just have we seen it? 
Yeah. And what do we think about uh, it? It's great. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've not seen it. I will watch it. I've seen Kung Fu Hustle. I love that movie. From top listener Sam V. Blair, what are your top five horror movies? Uh, I, I think we've done like an episode that's just probably have that, let's do it, let's change it up yeah that, well let's change it up let's see uh what is uh let's do top five um horror films that are really weird let's well, let's that? let's rank the neon horror films that we talked about today let's rank okay we'll do that how about that yeah okay uh well what's our list i wish we could write in this world okay i could like just see it so let's okay. well, uh number five i'm gonna stay blood machines it's at the it's at the bottom okay, wow. of the, of of the five, but it's it's still really good. Like they're all really good. Okay. Like we would like, every film we talked about today is fucking great. Yeah, they're excellent. Yeah. I mean, if you're watching us on YouTube, you're seeing clips of the void behind us, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, what's number four? Um, I think uh, probably you recommended uh, Bliss, and uh i think that uh that probably probably should belongs on that list but um maybe a little lower on the list maybe four seems fair all right at number three i'm gonna put beyond the black rainbow oh excellent excellent um i i've not seen the color out of space yet so i'm gonna put that two because i'm gonna assume it's amazing <laughs> based on the trailer and Based on the trailer you and your okay. view and everything else, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it, it can't be lower than two. All right, fair enough. Maybe it'd overtake number one, but I, I think that right now I'll set it right at number two. And I'm gonna say it's the the film we did our first episode on. It's the king of neon horror, and that's Mandy. Because Mandy is such so a good. Great film. <laughs> so good. It's excellent. Ah, oh, it's one of those films you can just watch over and over and over again. So, uh, we've we've ranked our top five neon horror films. And we hope that that answers your question. And Sam, we know you're an avid listener, so you probably have a good idea of our favorite horror films in general. Yeah. Um, but but as far as but let's let's highlight let's sh- let's sp- let's shine a uh, neon spotlight on some of these newer weirder. You know, there's a giant triangle in this movie that we're watching. Um, let's let's shine a neon spotlight on them and give them a little bit of love and yeah. go down into the go down into a spiral of weirdness. Let's enter the void of the obscure. Yeah, and Sam, if you just if you just want like some cool recommendations, uh, Slither is still in my top five. If you've oh, never seen it, I great. love Slither. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, shit, the, 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 the Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness is fantastic. Uh, the Thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, we thing, we yeah. well, well, yeah, Shining. we definitely have discovered our top horror films. We did the did the uh, the the audience thing. The what, you, what about a what what about a horror movie that you love that maybe for one reason or another you haven't yet talked about on the show? Hmm. I'd have to well shoot. I don't know if there is one. We've had we've done a lot of episodes. We we have done a lot of episodes. <laughs> we do talk about horror a lot. Um, let me just think. Is there is a is there a horror film? I've talked about Dark City a bunch. That's not really horror, yeah, but I love it. Yeah. Um, uh, let me just think. Well, it's got to have been... You know what we haven't talked about that's a great throwback horror from is Hatchet. Did you ever see Hatchet? I don't think so. It's, a, it's definitely a very derivative of the Friday the 13th series. Okay. But uh, it came out like in the early 2000s. It's great. It's If you want some like old school hack and slash, uh, Hatchet's really great to watch. Right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, you know, uh, just because I'm inspired by... The, again, if you're watching The Void... 
um, uh, Event Horizon, which is sort of oh, yeah. one part horror, one part sci-fi. Yes, and some have even said, if you're a Warhammer fan out there, there are pretty good arguments that Event Horizon may have tried to put itself as a prequel to Warhammer. Oh, really? Yeah, some stuff about, yeah, some apparently um, there's evil forces that come from uh, Void Dimension and Warhammer, and uh, when people um, have mistakes in hyperspace travel and stuff, they may find themselves in that dimension and they come back sort of corrupt as corrupted priests and whatnot, kind of like how Sam oh. Neill had that whole experience. Yeah, right, uh, yeah. Hellraiser, all the Hellraiser movies. Sure. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Man, I was going to mention something just now, and I lost my train of thought. Well, I guess it wasn't that important. Do we have any more questions? So, nope, no more questions. We're all done. Uh, the, the evil alien dude in the void is opening another dimension, and uh, it's about that time that we enter our own other dimension, which is <laughs> this the IRL dimension. Oh, I thought you just wanted to stay here on this purple planet. This place is pretty great, uh, man. Well, I might just... I would love to. Like, go see what the surface is or something down there. Yeah, this is pretty cool space. So check us out on YouTube if you're if you're listening to us just through Spotify or iTunes or for you mumble rappers out there, SoundCloud. Check us out on YouTube because we do some cool stuff. And, and uh, thank you to Big Screen for providing us this very cool environment. I really think it set the tone for the conversation and really allowed us to uh, immerse ourselves into the weirdness that is Neon Horror. Adios. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Blood and Glow Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and now on YouTube.